We'll read uh, just a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and then we'll flip the page to chapter 11. First Corinthians 10, we'll begin reading in verse 14 this evening. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partake we all partake of that one bread. And then chapter eleven, turning to verse twenty-three. Thank you. Chapter eleven, verse twenty-three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we might not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word here. Uh, Lord, perhaps words very familiar. And yet we pray that we would have uh, understanding whenever we hear them. We pray that we would uh, receive this, your word, and uh, grow as we consider it this evening together and then that you would nourish us through this sacrament. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm I'm just going to do one sermon on the Lord's Supper at this time. Uh, A couple of years ago, 2022, uh, I think I did, I thought it was like 10, but I went back and looked. I think it was eight different sermons on the Lord's Supper. Four of them made it onto the website. I don't know why I didn't record the others. Or maybe I didn't like what was recorded and didn't put them up. I I get to do that sometimes. 
Um, but th- there's a lot that we could say about the Lord's Supper. But we also have uh, the, the fencing of the table every month. And so I think more than baptism, we think about the Lord's Supper on a frequent basis. I'm not saying it should be that way more than baptism, but I think it is sometimes. And so I'm just going to do the one sermon uh, this week and then move on, Lord willing, to the, the last subject of prayer. Uh, but I want to take the, the same approach tonight that I took with baptism, which is things that we hear or things that people say to me or uh, that, that kind of approach and think through what others might believe and hear the others don't feel quite as close to home as they did perhaps with, uh, with baptism. Because in our church we have differing views on baptism, uh, but there, there isn't quite the extent of differing views about the Lord's Supper when it comes to most Protestant congregations. Most of our congregations have some internal agreement about the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so, um, so two of the things we hear feel like they're a little more distant. The first thing that we often hear is that the elements become the body and blood of Christ. That the elements, the, that is the juice and the bread here, become the body and blood of Christ physically. That's the idea. By the way, people have thought this all the way back to the early church, even in the days of the apostles. Not inside the church during the days of the apostles, but it was an attack that came from without. Uh, Initially, when uh, the church began, the Roman uh, government considered the church just to be an offshoot of the Jews. And the Jews had special privileges in Roman society. Everyone else in the Roman society had to say and do certain things uh, in worship of Caesar or in adoration of the Roman uh, pantheon. But the Jews had been so tedious and obnoxious and violent in resisting the idea of any such things that finally Rome just said, you know, it's easier if we pretend like the Jews are special. So let them be worshipers of one God. They don't have to say these things about Caesar, and they can, uh, they can be fine. And initially, the church benefited from that. The, the church didn't have to do those things either in society. But then the Jews wanted to uh, distance the, the church of Christ from the Jewish religion, and, and so they started telling Rome things like, the Christians are cannibals. Well, just go to one of their worship services. They have this ceremony where they actually eat Jesus. They're, they're cannibals. They eat body and blood. And, uh, and so the Roman culture started persecuting the church for, for things like that, things that were a, a false presentation. And everyone knew it was a false presentation within the church, by the way. No one thought, wow, the Jews really get us. They, they really caught us on this one. We really are doing this weird thing in worship. Um, but as history went on, vi- various viewpoints started having this kind of mentality of a, a physical presence of Christ in the elements. And so, of course, the two most familiar typically uh, are, of course, Catholicism and the Lutheran approach. Uh, Catholicism transubstantiation, where it's, it's presented that Christ... In the event of the mass, mass meaning the sacrifice, so that the the bread and the wine actually become the body and blood of Christ 
and he is re-sacrificed right in front of us all. And and don't let anyone tell you that's not what is being said, because that, that's in the Catholic Catechism. It's in all the Catholic writings. It's in the, the Latin, if you were to know enough Latin to know what they're saying during the Mass. And even the word Mass means sacrifice. So when your Catholic friends or loved ones say, we're going to Mass, they're saying, we're going to the sacrifice of Jesus, which has a, a rather obvious problem if you read Hebrews. He's been sacrificed once for all. Um, but that, that is based on this idea that his physical presence is in the bread and the wine. And, and then Luther and the Lutherans came along, and I'll use the, the phrase consubstantiation, but the Lutherans don't actually like that phrase. It's a phrase the rest of us have used to try to define their view. Their view was, no, 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 of course, of course these things don't magically transform into the body and blood of Christ, but the real physical body and blood of Christ are around, beside, and under the elements. So that they're so close to the bread and so close to the wine that when you put it in your mouth and partake, you, you are actually partaking of Christ's physical presence. What does that mean? Different than the Roman view? I, I, I don't know. In, around, under. The, the elements don't become it, but you are really partaking of the physical presence of Christ. The, the problem with all of these types of views really comes down to this. The real humanity of Jesus. The real humanity of Jesus. And... What I mean by that is to remind us of the definition of Chalcedon, which I know you all have memorized, rightly so. It's an excellent, uh, one of the ecumenical creeds, right? Roman Catholics and Lutherans and all Protestants and even the Eastern Orthodox Church, we all agree this is a worth memorizing. It is the definition along with the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. So I know you all know it really well, um, but... Apparently, some of the categories I just listed have forgotten when they come to the Lord's table about what Chalcedon says. Because hear what Chalcedon says about Jesus and his two natures. It says, two natures without confusion. The distinction of the natures, his deity and his humanity, being in no way annulled by the union of them, but rather characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and not as parted or separated into two, uh, one person and subsistence, not as parted or separated into two persons. So just to restate part of that, that the natures of Christ, one of which is humanity, is not confused with deity nor does it lose the characteristics and distinctions that are essential to humanity. Well, it, it is essential to humanity that we have physical bodies that occupy actual space. And if you, your physical body is occupying physical space here at 7 Devon Street, then you are not also occupying physical space at home. And those of you who are at home live streaming aren't occupying physical space here with us. 
If, if you say, well, I was with you in spirit. Well, there you go. You were here in spirit, but you're not actually here worshiping with us this evening. You're at home. And likewise, we are worshiping together physically as well as spiritually because we're here in this room. To, to have my body in multiple locations at once, short of something really horrific that, that would not have me being uh, aware of where parts of my body are, right? As long as I'm still conscious and I'm still healthy, my physical nature as a human requires that I be in one place at a time. And if I suddenly could have my body in multiple places at the same time, I would have lost something of the nature of being human. That's not how humanity works. I say all of that because the definition of Chalcedon, to which we are all supposed to agree, says that Jesus doesn't lose his humanity's essential distinctiveness so that physically he cannot be in multiple places at once. Spiritually he can. His divine essence is everywhere at once. But his physical humanity can only be in one place at a time. And so when Christ is standing there and he's holding bread in his hand and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples and says, this is my body, and he hands it to them using his body, he can't be saying that the bread is his physical body. His physical body's right there holding the bread, right? It doesn't fit with the essence of humanity for that to be the case. Equally as important, where is Christ right now? Christ is physically at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And he isn't leaving that spot beside the Father until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. That's why he sent us the Holy Spirit, because he's not here physically with us. So he sent the Holy Spirit into us so that we would be united to him in heaven. So he is physically in heaven. He can't also be physically here. Let me just throw one other thing in there as well. And that, that is, if you read the Gospel of John, that this whole physical presence of Christ argument is based on him saying, this is my body, this is my blood. And, and taking that literally. We have to take it literally every time. That's the kind of argument. Well, in John, Christ says, I am the, the gate. I am the bread. I am the living water. Uh, unless we're taking each of these statements just as literally, uh, that our argument really falls apart. Christ obviously speaks... Uh, in a spiritual way, in a, in a way that points figuratively to things about himself uh, on many occasions. And the Lord's Supper is, is one of these where he's pointing to something spiritual, not to his physical presence. Uh, in, in the Reformation, John Calvin, I think, said it best, and I don't think it's been bettered since then, when Calvin said that the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper is not a physical presence, but a spiritual presence. As we partake by faith, the Holy Spirit lifts us up to heaven where Christ is with God. 
He isn't dragged down to earth, says Calvin, but we, by faith, as the Spirit ministers within us through the sacrament, are lifted up to fellowship in the holy places with Christ. I I think that's the best, certainly the best way to view it. It is a spiritual presence. Christ is really present with us in the sacrament, but not physically, spiritually which is far better for us. Just as it's far better for us, he says, that he sends the Spirit to be with us and he goes to prepare a place for us. Well, the second thing we often hear, I often hear, you may not hear it, I'm going to use the Latin, but ex opera operati. The second thing we hear is that simply by partaking of the sacrament, you receive blessing. If you just eat it and drink it, you receive blessing. Necessarily, you get the blessing. This, again, is something the Catholic Church emphasizes especially, but others have emphasized it. And I think often uh, unbelievers uh, think this when they are at a worship service and the Lord's Supper is being given. Uh, they, They may, especially if they're especially superstitious, might think, well, if I, if I can just take it with everyone else, I'll get some blessing out of this, right? And uh, if this religion actually is real, then this will, this will be a way of me being, being blessed. Problem with this. Uh, there are a number of problems, but 1 Corinthians 11 is the really simple and obvious problem with it, isn't it? We read it this evening. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, we aren't told that just by partaking, you receive blessing. In fact, exactly the opposite. We were told if all you do is partake and don't have faith, if you partake and you aren't worthily partaking by looking to Christ, if you just take the elements, then you, not only you don't receive blessing, you actually receive cursing. There's no neutral taking of the Lord's Supper. I think we we need to remember that. It it will help us take it seriously and worthily if we remember that you you will be affected if you partake of the Lord's Supper. You may be blessed if you partake by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us and in faith in him alone. But if you don't and you partake, then you will necessarily walk out cursed by God. And that's a very serious thing. But it means, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 34, mean very clearly that simply taking it isn't enough. We must take it by faith. And again, that draws us back to that idea of it being a spiritual presence of Christ. We're not partaking of Christ physically, we're partaking spiritually. And we're united to Christ spiritually, by faith. Well, then the third thing, and this gets a little closer to home. This is uh, prevalent in evangelicalism today. The third thing we hear is that the Lord's Supper is a mere memorial. Only a memorial. And, of course, that is, in one sense, a response to both of those other two thoughts, isn't it? When the Roman Catholic Church says that Christ is physically present in the elements, and we say... No, he's not. And the Roman Catholic Church says, if you just partake of it, you'll be blessed. And we say, no, we won't. 
Well, then, it's just a mere memorial. It's just a place where we remember Jesus, but there's nothing more to it than that. Because it's just bread, and it's just, it's not even wine, it's just juice. Just wine and just juice. Might not even be the best, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, just bread and just juice. Might not be, even be the best bread, to be honest. So, so it's, just a, it's just a memory. It's just a remembrance of Christ. And the answer to that is, first, yes, it is a remembrance of Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. I mean, if you're, if you're not remembering Christ and what he's done, if you're just partaking and your mind's wandering and you're not thinking about the cross or the, the empty tomb, uh, then you will have that curse we were just talking about. You must remember Christ and what he has done, who he is, and what he has done for your salvation as you're partaking, or you're missing the whole point of the sacrament itself. So we can say, yes, it is a memorial, but it's not a mere memorial. The sacrament, remember, uh, we, we thought about what is a sacrament back in the beginning of November. And among other things, the sacraments are signs, that is, it's a physical thing that points you to a spiritual reality, but it's also a seal. That is, if you partake by faith, the Holy Spirit uses it to assure and certify to you all the promises of God in Christ. And so just three things I was thinking about this week in terms of it being more than a mere memorial. When you partake tonight and you are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, uh, three things that you can expect. Uh, one, that you would walk away knowing the grace of assurance. If you're remembering what Christ has done and you have faith, real faith, which isn't just faith that Jesus, some guy named Jesus lived, but real faith, which is all the things that Jesus said he would do, they are true for me. All his promises are mine by grace. Then you should walk away with a deeper sense of assurance. Remembering Christ should draw you to deeper assurance. Your ability to live the Christian life in this week ahead is not based on your ability. It's based on Christ nourishing you by his grace. Secondly, you should walk away knowing the grace of fellowship. Remember 1 Corinthians 10 said, the, the cup which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread. By the way, there's another problem with the a real presence of Christ in the elements statement, isn't it? Because scripture also says that we are the bread. Are, are we literally a loaf of bread? Does the bread become us in some way? No, we know that Paul's just saying, as there is one loaf there on the table, so we are one in Christ. And so we ought to walk away having taken the Lord's Supper having a sense of the fellowship we have with one another. We eat a meal together, a meal which is Christ given for us, and we go into life renewed because of that. And then third, grace to persevere until he comes again. If the Lord's Supper is a place where we are proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes, then every time we proclaim it to one another, we ought to have a sense of strength and perseverance to continue proclaiming his death till he comes. 
And so we ought to know the, the grace of assurance, fellowship, and perseverance here at the table together. And other things. You could make a longer list. Those are, those are the first three that came to my mind on Friday afternoon. So it's not a mere memorial. We can receive God's real grace to us in time of need here at the Lord's table as we spiritually partake of Christ. Well, with those thoughts in front of us, I can't think of a better way to end this sermon than to think about, uh, think about the spiritual realities that we have going on at the sacrament here uh, as they're presented to us in the Belgic Confession. Um, a couple of years ago, the first time I really paid attention when I was reading this part of the Belgic Confession and realizing how excellent this is. So I won't read you the whole chapter, Article 35, but here are parts of this this evening as we, as we think about the sacrament that we are about to partake. We believe and confess that our Savior Jesus Christ did ordain and institute the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporates instituted an earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of his body and wine as a sacrament of his blood to testify by them unto us that as certainly as we receive and hold this sacrament in our hands and eat the dr and drink the same with our mouths, by which our life is afterward nourished, we also as certainly do receive by faith, faith which is the hand and mouth of the soul. The true body and blood of Christ, our only Savior in our souls, for the support of our spiritual life. Now as it is certain and beyond all doubt that Jesus Christ has not in uh, called on us to use his sacraments in vain, so he works in us all that he represents to us in these holy signs. Though the manner surpasses our understanding and cannot be comprehended by us, as all the works of the Holy Spirit are hidden and incomprehensible to us. In the meantime, we do not err when we say that what is eaten and drunk by us is the body and blood of Christ. But the manner of our partaking of the same is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. Thus, though Christ always sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven, yet does he not therefore cease to make partakers, us partakers of himself by faith. This feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all his benefits to us, and gives us there to enjoy both himself and the merits of his suffering and death, nourishing and strengthening us and comforting our poor, comfortless souls by the eating of his flesh, enlivening and refreshing them by the drinking of his blood. Further, though the sacraments are connected with the things signified, nevertheless, both are not received by all, the ungodly indeed receives the sacrament to his own condemnation. We receive this holy sacrament in the assembly of the people of God, 
with humility and reverence, keeping up amongst us a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior with thanksgiving, making their confession of our faith and the Christian religion. Therefore, no one ought to come to this table without having previously rightly examined himself, lest by eating of this bread and drinking of this cup he eat and drink judgment to himself. In a word, we are excited by the use of this holy sacrament to a fervent love toward God and our...